Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Oslo will be November 28th through December 2nd. We're going to be recording some episodes there. Come see us in the fishbowl. Go to ndc-oslo.com to register. NDC Security Oslo is January 17th through the 20th. Early bird discount for NDC Security Oslo ends October 24th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London will be January 23rd through the 27th. Early bird discount for NDC London ends October 26th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to NDC Porto to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. That's three weeks ago, man. What's wrong with you? I'm, I'm still feeling it. <laughs> you got Halloween spirit just a little late. Well, you know, I used to be a big Halloween prankster when my kids were little, and I kind of grew out of it. Oh, yeah. Well, ha- yeah, Halloween's for kids, and that's what was always fun, right? Yeah. Well, your your floating head of doom is, is classic. Floating head of death, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not my BKAF for okay. today. If you roll the music, I'll tell you what it is. Right. <laughs> man hit me what do you got oh no it's mondays oh no really yeah uh, i'm doing a couple of episodes called the history of mondays a series and part one is the early years where i talk about dotnet rocks and mm-hmm. how we went from a one-hour show to a two-hour variety show and then the ratings went down or the downloads went down. We brought you on as co-host and then we split off and did Mondays and like the famous all of the- Venn diagram, right? Yeah. They, they, there's a group of people that want a technical interview and there's a group of people who want funny stuff. And the mm. intersection between that two is not that big. Yeah. It was kind of <laughs> tiny. And also it was funny going back and uh, hearing all of these old shows, you know, listening back to them. There was so much tech talk of the time, you know? Yeah. We were talking about Xboxes and and uh, TiVo metadata and stuff that nobody cares about anymore. Well, we didn't need to do. Well, I did that whole thing where because we, they didn't support TiVo and stuff up in Canada, right? So yeah. I was literally spoofing a TiVo, lying to it, loading it with my own, uh, redirecting its DNS and loading it with my own data sources so that I could record cable up here, right? Yeah. Bef- before all of television was on BitTorrent. Right, right. Well, one of the most surreal moments that brought it all together was when Rory and Jeff were arguing about, you know, uh, the Xbox versus Jeff's Linux box of the day that was free that he put together a media center and Microsoft is evil. And they got so into it. And Karen's like, what the heck? Is this .NET rocks? And they're like, (laughs) shut up. <laughs> and she says, "Hey, I'm not the girl who dumped you in high That's school." That's right. Yeah, I remember that line. Anyway, good stuff. Go check it out. Mondays.wop.com. New website. 
new episode, and rumor has it that Mark Miller and I are writing stuff for a new Rumor episode. has it. Yeah. So that's what I got. Who's talking cool. to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1713, the last one we did with Billy back in November of 2020 when we talked about the return on investment you get from good UX design. Got a lot of great comments here. Yeah. And, uh, and Mr. Hollis there was quick to jump in and, and add his own thoughts on this. Actually, there was a couple of themes that emerged, and I think it's going to be good for our show today, too. This is from Joseph Finney, who said, Great episode as always. I'm a mechanical engineer by day and a developer by night, which means I have to use poorly designed engineering software all day. Many of the <laughs> applications I use have not changed in the 30 years they've been in use. I'm sure my coworkers are tired of hearing me complain about the software, but if I didn't let out my frustration, I'd go crazy. Yeah. One of the most frustrating pieces of UX I see every day is when I'm closing a CAD application. There's a pop that says, are you sure you want to exit? Unsaved work will be lost. This pop-up appears every time. And there's no way to turn it off. Right. You know, whether he's saved or not, that's irrelevant. Oh. I just wanted to pop this dialogue to you, right? I've just been working for eight hours and have not saved anything. Same pop-up. It's a useless okay. That says a lot about the software developer's boss. Yeah. You know, paranoid. Well, I think it's just late. It's it's lazy coding. And the, and the implied part of this, and this is actually was from Billy's response, was one of the arguments for not updating the UX in software like that is that the existing customers complain. Yeah. Right? Like you moved my cheese. <laughs> it's the same reason that you walk into a restaurant that's 50 years old and only t two or three senior citizens are eating in there because they don't want to change the menu because those two or three senior citizens who are dying off right. aren't going to come back. Till, yeah. till, until they're all gone. Anyway, Brilliant. I, I know Billy's got comments on this, but uh, Joseph, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music Code Buy. Definitely follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet just to say hi or to say you suck or here's a guest we'd like. But no matter what, just uh, don't throw up on it. Gross. Yeah. In honor of Mondays. There you go. That's it. All right. So let, let us introduce Billy Hollis. Billy, of course, needs no introduction because he is the Reverend Billy Hollis. He's a master of UX design and uh, has spoken all over the world and written books and uh, has many uh, great customers, uh, customer stories. And one thing we always liked about you, Billy, is you ship software. And not everybody can say that. You ship software and you delight your customers. So uh, welcome back. Well, thank you. Yeah, that that is one of the things that as a as an organization we're most proud of is we tend to work with people over five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Because once they yeah. see the way we do things, which boy, we violate conventional wisdom in more ways than you can imagine. Right. Once they see our techniques for doing things and, and the value that comes out of that, they just keep finding things for us to do. And yeah. that's that's kind of surprising because we're expensive compared to a yeah. lot of the alternatives. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm really proud of that. My team is just extraordinary. I mean, see, I'm the public face of it, but people don't get the feel of how good the people behind the scenes are. My partner. Gary Bailey is probably the best 
single software developer I've seen in the business. And that includes all the people I've ever known in the Microsoft ecosystem. Mm. And we have mm. a visual designer as well as a great developer named David Garcia, who just is responsible for a lot of that wonderful stuff that you see that everybody thinks that I do. The joke inside the, <laughs> the, the joke inside the company is that David will do just this superb job and then people will see it and people inside the, and, and praise it and, and people inside the company like David will go, great job, Billy, that you did that, <laughs> that you did that <laughs> wonderful design when in fact it was somebody else doing it. So yeah, as as an organization, we're, we're pretty happy about that. But we work- Billy, I'm not convinced you're expensive. You know what's expensive? Failed projects. Yeah, not shipping software. Well, that's that's right. We don't fail. We actually had, a, I think the last project I would consider to be a failure was we've had one in the 20 years that we, we worked on it. It was about, right. around about 2010, and it was a bunch of government folks that I couldn't seem to get engaged enough. To, to, yeah. to succeed. I was going to say, was it Windows Vista? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that was that era, I guess. But uh, I have absolutely been looped into projects that weren't intended to succeed, right? Like the, yeah. that the, the, they needed to do this thing, but actually shipping software was not a requirement. In fact, it may have been a problem. And so I am, uh, to go through the cycles to make the, to have it end. I'm fortunate I haven't seen wow. one of those since 1978. <laughs> How disheartening! Yeah, be, I was I was actually doing some uh, like when I was in graduate school. I was doing some consulting for TVA. I went to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and and was doing some. And their headquarters is there in, in Knoxville, and mm-hmm. I was doing stuff for them. And it, it became apparent to me after six or eight weeks these people didn't want to get done. That right? They that just means they would have had to go find something else to worry about. Yeah, and they well, just you know, cruise along. They were fine with that. The, you know, it's easy to get in love with a project and like the worst thing that can happen is it finishes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, and it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to the, the, these projects and they were government adjacent. They were DOD type stuff. And all these people were employed no matter what. Right. And so the, the idea that there was deliverables that matter was just not that hot. Deliverables, deliverables were purely optional for these yes. folks. Yeah. For, for making the paper flow to show that they did the thing was important. It was very important. Doing the thing, not important. <laughs> hey, Billy, I got a question. Sure. What the hell is going on with XAML? Well, that's that's a complicated thing, and I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time discussing it. You know, I remember starting about 2010, how the cool kids told us XAML is dead. <laughs> and yeah. it somehow... For a product that's dead, it keeps coming back to life. And I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that it, you can do things with it that you just can't do with other front-end technologies. I just finished a project, uh, a design project, and wrote the prototype in XAML. And it, it, everybody was felt like that was a pretty big success in what we did. We may, may want to talk a little bit about that because it kind of ties in with some of the other things I'd like to talk about today. Uh, and... I, I, every time I come back to it and have to do something substantial, I just I, I, I'm just amazed at how good it is hmm. as a way to do front end development. It's so far advanced over anything that's available on the web. But WPF carries the problem of 
of deployment that nobody in technology wants to worry about. So can I can I rephrase this a little bit? Yeah, Billy? sure. It, is this really an indictment of XAML? Is this an indictment of desktop development? I think that's probably a good way of looking at it. It's that people don't think that desktop development is necessary right. or desirable, and so the technologies that do it, no matter how powerful they are, but Part of that comes out of the fact that people don't understand what the power of desktop development is for certain things mm -hmm. inside the industry. The project we just finished on has oh, seven or 800 operators all over the world doing some supply chain management type stuff with very, very complex databases of, of, of pieces that they're looking at. And of course, I can't really talk about the exact company and such as that. I try to keep some confidentiality there. So I have to necessarily talk about it in generic terms. But we did our calculations based on the ROI stuff that uh, that we talked about in the last episode. And based on that, we're in the multi-millions of labor savings every year based mm -hmm, on a mm -hmm. desktop package that guides them through their workflow. It's very stateful. It makes it really easy for them to do things. And I don't know that we could have implemented these designs on the web. And I don't have any problem. We do web development. Sure. Typically is an ad adjunct to other stuff that we do for our clients. And so we're in an almost ideal position to understand where the two types of development really, really shine. And there are certainly cases where you have to go to the web development to get what you need. And we're starting to see some crossover now with hmm. things like uh, stuff based on WebAssembly, where right. the desktop model starts to get injected into the browser. And there are people who are convinced that that's the direction forward. Our good buddy Rocky Lock is one of them, for example. Um, Billy, I have a um, just a, a little bit of a tangent here, but it's completely related, so maybe it's not a tangent. Um, I learned XAML from you, really. I mean, I messed around with it, but until you came to the studio and recorded your Silverlight uh, videos, your DVDs, uh, I really didn't know a lot about about XAML or how to get uh, a lot out of it. And that series was as much about XAML as it was about Silverlight, probably yes. even more. Yeah. Because the stuff that I learned from you, I went on to use in WPF and, and even in Xamarin Forms which, uh, you know, is something worth talking about. Um, Xamarin, Xamarin Forms, which is evolving into Maui, has a unique kind of flavor of XAML. You know, okay, so instead of using, a, what, a stack panel, you use a, a you know, whatever, it, I can't even remember now what these things are, but they're very similar. And you still use the same margins, and you still use the same... Uh, you know, um, formatting and all of that stuff in styles. So that said, I think that people, when they hear the word XAML, associate it with a, a technology that uses XAML, like Silverlight or like WPF or like Xamarin Forms, whereas, you know, or even UWP, whereas XAML itself in purity uh is is what it is and it's it's a very nice and very complete stack for ui that well that's a that's a good point it and the thing that makes it very different from all the other stuff i've seen that we're just starting to get into in some other technologies is the extreme compositional nature 
that that it's all about putting pieces together to make interesting things happen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that once you get that concept in mind, it goes to every flavor of XAML that you want to use. Mm. That it's it's trivial, for example, to go to the Uno platform and figure out how to use it. Bec- if you've ever done extensive uh, extensive XAML work in something like WPF, the mm-hmm. problem that we run into more often than not among all the people I see who use XAML as a technology is that they don't go deeply enough to get a good feel for that compositional nature and mm-hmm. that they just kind of, it's short attention span theater. They don't take the time to learn it deeply enough to really understand what it will do and use it effectively. Yeah, but you know, you run the risk of being the C plus plus advocate when you say stuff like that, don't you? I guess. Like you know, if you're just too lazy to make pointers to pointers to a stack of pointers, what are you doing programming, right? Well, I mean, you know, for, for me, the difference is about when it comes to making things better for the user. I don't, I don't want to be lazy. That's the reason I write my software. I, I mm-hmm. want them to gain the benefit of what I've got. And if I have to work hard to figure out a way to make that happen, then that's what I'm going to do because the the systems are being written for them. That's where a lot of the value is. It's the same. I mean, the exact same argument would be made about backend architecture and things like that from Yuval Lowy, Mm -hmm. who who would tell you that you, yeah, it's hard, but you still do it because the value is really, really high. Right. That's the job. Right. Ultimately, you, you know, you're talking about what the job actually is, which is build those hard pieces and make them work. Build those pieces that supply value to the people who are writing the checks. Mm-hmm. Well, and at the end, it has to work. It's interesting to me because we're starting to see more compositional approaches to web development these days, too. The, the, right. I, the A lot of the good ideas of XAML have made their way in to web development, which is mm-hmm. really good. I'm happy to see them copying good ideas. Angular, for example, was clearly inspired by XAML's mm-hmm. data binding. And and it does maybe 40%, 50% of what XAML's data binding will do. And it gets better as the generations go forward. So yeah, those ideas are coming into web development. And Blazor is a very compositional sort of platform. Now, it doesn't really have all the kinds of pieces I want to compose yet. But, you know, hopefully it will develop and get there. Uh, so yeah, it that's that's one of the shifts that I'd like to see us as an industry make, as, as a development community make, is to think about things more compositionally. But I'll tell you, I did a keynote about that once at a VS Live, and it was the worst received keynote I've ever done. <laughs> People don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear it. Bunch of lazy fuckers. They tend to think in terms of all the code they learned how to do, that's imperative. It's a big leap just for them to go to functional programming. And yeah. not that many developers do that. And, no. and compositional thinking is an even bigger leap for them. Really? You think that's larger I, than functional? I do. People really struggle with functional thinking. They do, but they, they seem to struggle even more with compositional thinking in terms mm-hmm. of at least when I start seeing the, the systems that I see written in XAML, if they haven't had somebody to kind of lead them down that compositional path. Right. And the stuff they've got is just colorful examples of Windows forms or classic VB or something. Right. Just t- entangled code. Right? Yeah. Like they, you can, I mean, you can write some remarkably opaque XAML. You really can. It's mm. astonishingly easy to write XAML that nobody else can understand. 
Right. And that's a defect as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, there are ways that I think we could do, do better, but they would involve some very, very innovative work on a designer. And I, Carl, I know this is one of your pet peeves is that the designers in the XAML world just never got there. Well, it used to be. It used to be. I'm not so much anymore. Uh, yeah, I gave up the whole idea of WYSIWYG software designers, um, you know, when I had to, basically. You know, even all the stuff that I did in WPF, I never really missed a designer. I liked XAML. Well, the thing the that bugs me about XAML and where I get stuck is binding. You know, when you have data contexts, multiple data contexts, parent data contexts, and now you have to have references and resources and stuff, and then you get into the well, you know about it, right? I mean, sure. I, I think you you hired me to come look at somebody's code who was needing like a XAML guy or whatever, and we won't say who it was, but you know, they were they were looking at some things where they just couldn't figure out the binding, and that's always been my bugaboo with XAML. It's like, what is the magic sauce that I need? And good luck finding it on the internet, right? Yeah. Whereas if I need something in CSS, I can find it immediately. Yeah, because or, that's such know. a that's such a huge community. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. and and. I think that ties into the whole thing about the designer, though, because if you're going to work in a compositional world, your designer needs to respect that. And the reason that, that binding is so hard is that the designers, the visual designers, Visual Studio does not do a good job of managing binding. Even if you have nested XAML, right, you still have to pay attention to the binding all along in like every level. Right. But I can imagine, and I've sketched this out because I've thought about it for so many years. I can imagine a compositional surface that blows things out into three dimensions and shows the kind of connections that you're talking about. Yeah. There's nothing to stop us from doing that except the imagination and the hard work that it would mm. take for people to do it. But that, that, that does not seem to come out of any of the, the tool makers. Do you realize that basically what we're doing with XAML is using an interaction pattern that was created and first published in 1991? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And, and 30 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's really. Being MVVM. Uh, well, it, basically it was Alan Cooper's brilliant drag and drop visual Right. I mean, yeah. the, the the solution explorer in uh, in Visual Studio. When you talk about the designer concept, that uh, yeah, the, that surface as, that you drop device, you drop components onto, and you that uh, yeah, and your you have UI. a hierarchy of your code pieces and all mm -hmm. that. All of that is recognizable. That was in VB one in 1991 right. is recognizably in Visual Studio 2022. Thunderform. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of part part of the problem is we we haven't seen the kind of innovation in that space that I think we should. Nobody has kind of maybe maybe just because the velocity of innovation in XAML and it really hasn't you know everybody's been waiting for this moment, which is like one XAML to rule them all, right? You know the the Maui thing, which you know if you're Billy Hollis, you're probably not going to use Maui to build desktop applications because you've got a perfectly good and more rich um platform WPF on which to do that because that's your market. But uh it seems that now that things have sort of coalesced and we have, you know, quote unquote one XAML to rule them all, as Richard used to say, uh, that uh, you know, maybe we will see some some more visual tooling 
I think, well, I think that would be great. And, and I, I do feel like some of the multi-platform uh, ventures for XAML are likely to give it a, a higher profile yeah. for some of the kinds of apps that people want to do. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of development out there that the cool kids don't recognize in, in companies. I see it because people come to me about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That desktop development that is, look, the American economy runs on desktop software. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you like that or not. That's just the right. way things are. These businesses run on desktop software. Now, some of it is horribly obsolete and should be brought up to spec. Some of it is very modern and extremely productive. But that's where a lot of activity is. And and there, there doesn't seem to be an, any interest. I mean, a lot of the web software that's done, stuff that's exposed to a browser, is in fact a desktop programming mo- um, interface model. It's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of data grids and it's a whole bunch of stuff that, that helps steer people through some kind of business workflow. The main difference I see, and I'll just give you an update as to where I am right now because I'm I'm knee deep in in Blazor and in Maui, both XAML and in Blazor. And um, the, the main difference I see is that when you're in a desktop, you sort of have this box, right? You, you have a box which you have total control over with height, all of that stuff. Fundamentally, when you have a browser-based application, you don't really have height control. If you're going to do that kind of thing, you have to use JavaScript to resize the window, you know, when you, when you, you know, the actual window, right? So that you have or don't have a scroll bar. Like, it's not just that simple. So I think XAML really works really well in that box model, at least WPF XAML does. And, um, but I've been playing with Maui, of course, and recently did a show on the .NET show where I wrote the same application in Blazor uh, Maui and in XAML Maui. And my conclusion at the end of that was, I'd much rather write this in Blazor, but, but give, you know, this is now, right? This is the end of November, uh, 2021. Maui doesn't even exist yet. I may have changed my mind by by next year sometime. But uh, as it, and I've been doing Blazor for the last two years, so so this is where I am. But uh, you know, I just found that I have to do extra stuff in XAML, you know, like uh, providers, right? That I don't have to do in Blazor, and it just it just felt a lot more natural for me to do it in Blazor. Anyway, that's where I am. And uh, with that, let's pause for this very important message. You know, the best time to fix a bug or outage is before your customers notice. Seek, that's S-E-Q, just released a brand new alerting implementation that takes structured log data from your apps and triggers notifications in Teams, Slack, or email. You decide which events are important to you, and Seek does the rest. Find out more about Seek at datalust.co slash SEQ. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. 
Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified, with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. You know, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What changed? Well, the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. Well, as for me, to keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com .net and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t. Go to expressvpn.com slash .net to learn more. And we're back. This is Carl Franklin. That's my buddy Richard Campbell. Howdy. And we're talking to Reverend Billy Hollis about, uh, well, we were talking about the state of XAML, but I kind of got a feeling that uh, we want to move on to another topic. Billy, what's on your mind other than XAML these days? Well, let's see. How, how should I kind of get into this? Um, you know, our mind has certain filters that are imposed on it. We all have filters on our perception. That is what we notice in the world. Mm -hmm. a, a, a tangible example. I got a Datsun Z car in the 1970s. As soon as I got it, I started to notice lots of Z cars on the road. Sure. Yeah. Before, I didn't really see that because our mind filters out things that we don't think is particularly relevant or, or important. It's, a, it's an efficiency system. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, the world right. is too complex to see everything. So I have a filter, of course, to notice bad design. We've talked about that many times. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was first formed by Don Norman's book in the 1980s. And, and I get email from people occasionally telling me they can't get on an elevator without noticing the design of the panel. Mm -hmm. Right. You ruined this for I us. Ruined. It happened to me. What I, <laughs> I blame you. What I did was give them a new filter. A lot of what people talk about with mindfulness and things like that is changing mm -hmm. or refining the filters that you right. use to perceive reality. Well, I've had a couple of filters that are related to one another. 
sort of come to the forefront of my mind. And it, 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 part of what, what caused it was it came out of a reading a book called Curious by Ian Leslie. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but it, one of his primary claims is that we are losing the ability to learn deeply. And for me, I started connecting that to what uh, what I, I referred to earlier in the show as short attention span theater. You guys may right. remember there was a show back now. I do, yeah. Remember that? Uh, Comedy and, Central. And you start looking at, at the changes in culture in our industry and in society as a whole. And attention spans get shorter pretty much with every year. And I don't think I need to establish that, do I? I mean, that's kind of conventional wisdom at this point that everybody would agree. I do. I'm just not sure that it's true, right? Like, it, it is certainly the conventional wisdom that we have all, all have shorter attention spans. But it's also that we have moved into an era of constant demands on attention. Right. Right? I mean, there used to be more time to think. There wasn't a device buzzing and beeping and, and pulling on you all the time. Yeah, there weren't mm. 50,000 notifications coming into our system all the time. Yeah. I did one of I'm my- doing a series right now on consumer neuroscience around advertising, and it's this idea of you used to see a couple of dozen ads a day, and now you see thousands. Yeah. Mm. I, I put up actually, you know, I, I've got my This Is Pointless Twitter account, which I don't know if people classic. Yeah, which I don't know if everybody realizes <laughs> this, but I don't I don't write that for everybody else. I really write it. I laugh at my own jokes. Okay. Yeah. Well your jokes and, are pretty funny, Bill. Stuff out there. And and the, the biggest laugh some of the biggest laugh I got recently is I, I composed this is just a few days ago, a thing on notifications where the, the the series of tweets is about somebody trying to talk and getting constantly interrupted by notifications. And <laughs> and uh, you know and ends up twitching on the floor, you know, in, in right. complete meltdown because the notifications just don't stop. So I understand kind of what's driving it. And I, I, I would agree with you there, but here's the thing. If, if you don't learn to deal with that and develop certain skills to deal with it, then mm. it's going to affect your performance in, in yeah. all kinds of ways. I mean, I look at, let's just look at a few of the ways that short attention spans are really starting to hit us and, and starting to have a, a big impact sort of in, in, uh, in the world as a whole and in software in particular. Think about long form content and how it's, it's almost an endangered species now mm-hmm. uh, you, because the perception, and I've talked to various people who work in the, in the video training world, the perception is nobody will watch anything that's very long. And then we talked about the notifications and then I, I, there's, um, there's a concept called evil by design. Have I talked about that on any of the shows? I don't remember th- whether I had. I don't think so. No, I don't think okay. so. I would remember that. You probably remember that. Because <laughs> um, Richard is evil was, by design. The, the, the term is coined, was coined by a guy named Chris Nodder, who wrote a book with that title, Evil by Design. And uh, again, it's always helpful if I give a tangible example. Uh, I was renewing my membership for a well-known company that I, you know, I try to keep you guys out of trouble and not say who it is. Oh, we uh, won't get in trouble. You won't get in trouble. Okay. Well, in that case, <laughs> you might tri- get in trouble. Uh, yeah, it's AAA. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I've already said this on Twitter, so I don't know that I'm going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already There's no trouble left to be had. Because I went to renew my membership because I have it for my whole family, and get to the end on the web mem- on the web renewal, and there's this 
paragraph at the bottom of the final confirm page mm. in light gray foreground text. Like doing its best to make you not read it. Exactly. And I, you know, the hint, I hope that we've kind of learned out by now, learned by now is always read that light gray text. Yeah. Always. If it's low contrast, it's important. The stuff they needed to show you, but didn't want you to see. <laughs> That's where they hide the stuff they don't want you to notice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, what the light gray text said was by confirming you are signing up for automatic renewal on all future years. Oh, man. Nice. Now, see, that's just wrong. And I think right. of them as evil. It's, it's, it's unscrupulous. It, it is. It's unethical. And I think of, of AAA as a very reputable company. I've used them for years. And and evil by design is much easier to, to pull over on people. And I guess it's probably worthwhile to have kind of a a, a concise definition of it. We kind of have, mm. have, have talked around it, but it's the idea that you get drawn into doing something that if you were fully aware, you didn't want to do, you, you may, want, may yeah, or may never, not want to do. Yeah. yeah. Probably wouldn't do. You probably yeah. would not. Yeah. So that when, when I saw that, I actually went on the phone and, and, and called up and renewed on the phone. And the, the, the person who was renewing me, I told her about this, of course, cause I like to rant. And mm -hmm. she's going, you, nobody likes that because she's the one who has to talk to the people who didn't. She takes a lot of flack for it every day, I'm sure. Yeah, people didn't realize they'd signed up and then they find out because it built on their whatever and they call up. So so that sort of thing is much, much more effective in a world of short attention spans. Right. Because you're always busy. You've always got something else to do. You blow away blow off anything that you think you can get and away the company with. can always blame you when you call and say why did you auto renew and they said well if you look at the light gray text at the bottom of the page yeah. you agreed to it <laughs> yeah. yeah we succeeded in deceiving you into agreeing we to sucked it. you right. in and yeah. i uh, i had a similar experience two similar experiences but i'll talk about one yesterday um i wanted to uh, cancel one night at a hotel that I was going to stay in in between NDC and uh, Dev Intersection. Um, and so what I did was I called and I said, yes, I was checking in on this day, but now I'm going to have to check in on the next day. And they said, oh, well, you got, uh, you ordered this as an, um, an advanced reservation. Can you hold on? We're going to switch you to the advanced reservation department. Okay, so I hold on, and it turns out what advanced reservation means, no changes, no returns. Mm -hmm. And you may have gotten five bucks off of the rate, but when, you know, I don't remember making that decision when I signed up for, you know, when right. I registered for the hotel. I got the rate that they just suggested, which means no cancellations, yeah. no changes. And so it literally took me an hour on the phone, and I had to give them a reason why they would you know, take off a night and change the reservation. I had to give them a reason. So if the reason right. was, mm, I just don't feel like it, then they would have said, no, I'm sorry. But, you know, I had to, you know, make up something. So the other one, and this is, you're going to like this, Billy. This is not necessarily evil by design. It's just stupid. So I got a new <laughs> safe, a combination safe. Now the combination safe also comes with a key. But the key is optional. The key is either in 
a completely locked position. In other words, in order to open the safe, you have to turn the key and you have to get the combination. Or you can just leave it in an open key position, right? And then you can just use the combination, right? So uh, they, there's a sticker right on the front of the safe with a QR code. So I go to the QR code and they're showing me a video. And they say, your safe comes in the open position. So I pause it. It's not opening. Okay, what's going on here? Is it before you operate your safe, you may want to remove the key. Where's the key? In the safe. <laughs> I swear to God, this was the first thing the video says before, and they showed the safe open. Your safe comes in the open position, and before you use it, you might want to remove the key from the safe. Okay, Sherlock. Well, see, this completely ties in, though, because you're talking about situations where people aren't seeing a big picture. Right. They aren't thinking about the relationship of things because our attention is so is granularized a word. I don't know, broken down into such small pieces and snippets that it's very easy to overlook something like that. Nobody Facebook feed disease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and. Yeah, that uh, Facebook to me is just is kind of another example. Is that everything is kind of small and snippets, and mm. and they manipulate you because you don't really want to take the attention and time to avoid their manipulation. Um, and and these are two different things, though. You know, the constant pressure on time has shortened attention spans, and certain entities have learned how to manipulate that shortened attention span. To get you to agree to things you don't actually want. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, that the, the idea that people struggle to build big pictures of things because they're constantly distracted is, is it all ties in together. And that was kind of my point is that my, my filters have started to notice how all of these things are interrelated that, that the lack of attention span is, mm-hmm. is a root cause of many problems we have right now. I think it's a root cause, for example, of a lot of the, the increasing bugs that we see in, mm-hmm. in software is that people that's, they lack the big picture thinking they're always busy. They just kind of rush it out. Uh, and, and so, I, and, and then the open, the open office arrangements, which I think is one of the stupidest ideas for developers ever, ever created. The idea was these people, people are supposed to collaborate. Well, it, what it means is that they're constantly getting interrupted. And yeah. so that, that to me is all these things tie together to the point that I'm, I'm convinced that we're, we're sort of reaching a stage where if somebody wants to dramatically enhance their own desirability and value, then fighting against that problem is one of the ways to do it. Yeah. A, I think this is a new stage in human, you know, Resources are only valuable when they're scarce. Attention has never really been scarce before. Right. And, mm. and today, attention is now scarce and suddenly valuable. We look at the evolution of etiquette. Uh, people don't phone you anymore. or not, Nobody that you like phones you anymore. Mm. Right? Because a phone is fundamentally a demand for attention. A, a ringing telephone says, whatever you're doing is less important than what I need to say to you right, right. now which is almost never true. And so if you look at the young people etiquette for communicating, you start with 
asynchronous, non-interrupting medium. Yeah. You send a text. You up, right? Like the whole point being it's ignorable. It doesn't interrupt you unless you choose to be interrupted by it. And you have time to respond to it, right? It doesn't have a time limit tied to it necessarily. However, I see a um, an increase in something that we've been noticing for years, Richard, which is that uh, people assume everyone else knows exactly what they know, you know? And so details are left out, assumptions are made. Uh, we don't, we, we don't feel like we have, if I have to explain this to you, you're stupid kind of thing. Right. Um, like we're surprised when somebody's never heard of something before that you bring up. Do you know what I mean? You see this, right? And I think this compounds the problem now of uh, short attention span or, or at least manipulation of, of people with short attention spans. Um, it, and, and it's really important for software developers too, right? I mean, we, we as software developers, we can assume nothing. We have to, uh, you know, treat the user as if, you know, like the safe, right? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. you start with definitions. We both use this word, but what does this word mean to you? Right. And I spend a, a lot more time, I find, than almost any, any our team does a lot more time in trying to pin that sort of thing down mm-hmm. than, than because you, you talk to people in the industry, the conventional wisdom is, well, don't do big design up front. Well, no, but I'd really like it if you did big understanding up front. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to design your system. I'm trying to understand what you actually do yeah. and what you want. We're, yeah. Yeah. Because that's that big picture thinking of what the overall problem looks like is one of the foundations of innovation. If you don't have that, I don't see how you innovate. I mean, I, guess right. you, I don't even see how you get something functional um, because you can you can iterate, I guess, and you can trial and error it enough. We don't ever do it that way, so I don't really have that experience. But apparently that's the way most people do it. Is that your perception as well? Most people just kind of throw functionality at the app until they think they've got enough. They don't really start with that big understanding of what the app Well, and the, or they start going and f- presuming they're going to course correct mm-hmm. along the way. I'm going to get enough feedback I'm, and we're going to, you know, it's about halfway through the project. They finally figure out what they were supposed to build. Well, yeah, but it, isn't it a lot more effective to do that in your brain instead of in code? Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you uh, come to a project and they have problems and stuff, and the first thing you do is search for the words to do? And yeah. you get a list of like 100 <laughs> things. It's like, and this thing works, right? That's yeah. like, that's amazing. Yeah, we're not even there. But yeah, that don't start writing code until you actually know which direction you're going in. Because then uh, the alternative is you're digging a hole that gets you further away from the goal. Yeah, well, but that just has become, well, I think there's kind of almost been a certain filtering mechanisms starting with like the complex frameworks of Java and and, and .NET is that Mm -hmm. the people who succeeded in that world were the ones who liked to focus on the minutia. Right. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who who came through. The big picture thinking was kind of degraded because um, the book I was talking about, Curious, does Mm -hmm. one of the key concepts there is drawing the the distinction between a puzzle and a mystery. Hmm. Think about that a little bit. Now, yeah. the, the, what, what developers like to do fundamentally is solving, solving puzzles. 
Right. And our Google-driven world gives you short answers to things that you might find puzzling. But if you don't try to go up to Google with a mystery and try to yeah. and try to get an answer and you and you can't. If <laughs> if Google presented a murder mystery to you, the identity of the killer would be on page one. Right. Yeah. I mean that's just that's just not the way that people think about that. But like, we need to define the difference between a puzzle and a mystery more clearly here. Like a puzzle is we have we know all the pieces, we just have to figure out what order they go into. Yeah, but pretty much that that there are specific connections that you have to make and that there's kind of one right answer. And there's rules. And there's rules about the how puzzle. they, yeah. But a mystery is open-ended. Right. It, it doesn't have any particular, um, out, especially when it comes to mysteries that are in the world as a whole, we, we start out not knowing where we're going. Right. And for some people in this industry, that's profoundly uncomfortable. They I love to, mysteries. They want to give that satisfaction of solving the puzzle, but the 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 because mysteries take an attention span that puzzles don't. Mm -hmm. And and so the book the book talks quite a lot about that. I think that's a that's an interesting theme. Um, the the as I said earlier, one of the things that really got me got me thinking because of that was talking about the long form content and the fact that that everything is. I was um, I was talking to one of the video, one of the main video training people about doing a course, and they said, "Oh, well, you need to redo your outline because everybody skips around in the courses now, so you mm -hmm. need to write your outline for that." And well, the course was on long form thinking, right? <laughs> the, the course was tr trying to help people see something that was structured and long form. Yeah, and I know that there is demand for that kind of content. Because I have this portal site course, it's four and a half hours that generates nine years old and still generating quite a lot of royalties every year. Right. And so I know that there's, there's, there. They, and they wouldn't let you make it today is the point, right? They would not. They would absolutely not let me make that course. Today. You know, and it's funny, like, you look at YouTube formats these days, they're, they're doing the same kind of push. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what's happened is the folks who like making long form content have just moved to another medium. They've gone to the nebulas yeah. and the curiosity streams of the world rather than fight the YouTube algorithm. And then the upcoming people learn a skill set that is not friendly to creating narratives and long form content. Well, that's right. all the time we have today. Thank you, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We, so, uh, yeah. But it's this is the old problem of did the media make the problem or the media just reflecting the problem, right? Mm. They we used to make long form content. They've now decided that the short form is more valuable, and they're pushing us to make more of it. Whether that's true or not is a separate question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and everything has just been reduced to snippets with with and the problem with snippets to me is there's no context, right? I indication of how to become better at things. It's it's just dashed out bits about some hyper specific feature that somebody's interested in right now. And, and I think that, that the, since, since developers don't practice that deeper thinking, they just, they don't develop that skill. And I think that they're doing themselves and their, and their companies a disservice for that. If every developer set aside an hour every day to go somewhere away from the computer and just think, I believe most of them would be amazed at what they would realize and how it would impact their work. Nothing but pencil and paper. Leave the phone. Just go and use your mind.
It's funny if you Google Viva suggests you do that regularly. Yeah. Put it in your schedule. Take an hour out. Take an hour out. <laughs> um, because every every human's mind has a subconscious part churning away on pattern matching and big picture types of activities. I I learned this as a part of, of learning about design. And that's based on input from the conscious mind, but it only presents the insights when the conscious mind calms down and let those yeah. insights surface. Sitting in a desk writing code constantly does not allow. It never allows yeah. that calming and reflection. So go walk, go exercise. I also think modern life here encourages people to be afraid to be alone with their thoughts. And I know that this is a big problem among young I people. I generally agree, but I'm interested in hearing you sort of explain your rationale there, see how close it matches mine. Yeah, sure. Well, you know... Um, Maybe it just uh, has to do with a certain psychological profile, but I've certainly met a lot of people who constantly need uh, some sort of stimulus to because they're afraid to be alone with their thoughts. They're afraid of what they might discover about themselves or realities that they might, um, un, you know, uncover. It might be an American thing, or at least a North American thing. I want to automatically salute Canadians. You know... I found Finnish people remarkably comfortable at just sitting quietly. Yeah. So comfortable that when you make too much noise, they're like, do you have to make that much noise? Yeah. Right? Like different cultures put this differently, but West is definitely a noise centric culture, it seems these days. Some people more than others. Yeah, my my family in Pennsylvania, my father's side, perfectly happy to sit around reading books together. And quietly. quietly, not a sound, not a sound. And you know, after an hour or so, one might get up and have a cup of tea and say, "Yeah, it looks like rain or whatever." But uh, right. not a not a whole lot Trying of conversation. Engage. There's also folks who can't. It has to be a radio on, or it yeah. has to be a television on, or there's like so, there's a constant sense of stimulus yeah. all around. And I I just don't think that's healthy, and I think it inhibits the development of certain thinking skills that are incredibly valuable. I've been reading a book on what it would take to build an artificial generalized intelligence that is so dense and so intense that I write notes after each chapter for more than an hour. Wow. And my yeah. wife's like, what are you doing? And why and normally I consume, you know, two books a week. I've been two weeks into this book. It it's it's one of the most difficult things I've ever read. And I am very engaged in the material, but it's like you just have to sit back and th we're trying to define the meaning this the meaning of consciousness like it's hard, a hard doctrine problem. yeah well I, I if somebody doesn't want to go quite that deep i think the the, the book i was talking about is probably <laughs> a oh no i think i grabbed the links for design of everyday things curious and and evil by design they're all excellent books billy and 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 absolutely valuable uh it is interesting i mean i do believe that we are in an unprecedented time that represents a new advancement in civilization and the management of attention. You're seeing it happen culturally yeah. bit by bit. Um, and, but it's a struggle. And those that get through the struggle will be very successful too. I think it, yeah, I think that, that grasping the problem and being able to do something about it in your own build, tooling around build, it. build your own skill set around it, I think is one of the, one of the most underrated ways to, to advance one's career. Sure. Uh, people wonder how I write geek outs. Stuff flies at me all the time. I throw it in one note so I can forget about it. Yeah. And But I don't, I write the geek out in a sitting. Like it's at hours, it's several hours to actually put the script together. But you've assembled bits for weeks. Yeah. Right? It's, so it's using the interruption model to gather data 
but then you have to have a thoughtful model to build a narrative. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good hybrid of, of yeah. the two problems. And I, I confess, I'm really not much good at the short attention span theater thing. I, I, I tend to focus most of my stuff on on bigger picture thinking and long form content. And Well, you know, we debate about making this show this long, right? Too. We always yeah. have uh, is hour long shows or I do run as at the half hour, roughly, you know, conference sessions. Remember, they used to be 75 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of in all of you guys who able to, to, to do that a successful show where it's a better part of an hour for each show and and people are still thousands of people are still coming in and looking at it it says something about your ability to find good good content well and i think that the the secret of dotnet rocks is that you see the topic and that's not necessarily what you're going to hear for an hour you know you're going to yeah. yeah we're going to talk about that topic but we we always go wherever that topic leads us follow the conversation yeah, yeah. right and I, I think that's all, that's engaging. That if you just stuck on one thing for an hour, it wouldn't be anywhere near as interesting as what actually happens, which is screw people talking mm -hmm. and we go places. Yeah. Well, thanks, Billy. And it's always a pleasure to have you on. I don't know how many times Billy's been on. We could probably uh, um, check that out real quick. No, we definitely owe him like two sub sandwiches. <laughs> it's like, it's good. It's, good. it's getting up there. Let me let me try the filter. It says twenty. <laughs> wow. When are we going to see you next? I will be at the Intersection Conference in Las Vegas in April of next year. I think Richard and I talked some about that, so I expect to see you there. I've got a VS Live coming up in March of no, like February, I think, of next year. Okay. We're starting mm -hmm. to get back to some of the being on the road, and I really miss it too. I, yeah, I, we do too. Getting in front of audiences and talking to people at conferences, I really do miss that. Even though the majority of, of, of my interactions with people are to sort of answer their questions and tell them things. Never, nevertheless, one out of every eight or 10 will pose an interesting question or start talking about an interesting problem. And I find that stuff really helpful and I've really missed it during the pandemic. Yeah, we have certainly missed that as well. Uh, we got a taste of that uh, earlier this year. In Orlando. Yeah, we yeah. managed to pull off the Orlando it, show, which yeah. was a challenge. And I was really happy to be there, and I enjoyed that show quite a lot, even though the audiences were small, just the ability to get back into it. And I should I, – I mentioned a project I worked on earlier that I just finished up. Probably won't start anything until, uh, until early next year, but we're scheduling out early next year. Some of our projects are kind of going into first quarter. So if somebody wants to talk to me about doing something in January and February, I actually have some open time, which I normally don't have. Yeah. So uh, nice. give me give me a holler and I'll uh, I'll I'll do some interesting design project for you. That's an opportunity for sure. Well, Billy, thanks very much. It's been great talking to you as always. Thanks, guys. Good to catch up with you. I didn't realize it had been a year since the last. Yeah. No. Yeah. Time flies, friend. Okay. All right. And you got anything new to talk about? Just holler. I will. Yeah. Thanks, All right. guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. 
visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. I 